listening to Good to Grow, a podcast for budding green thumbs. We'll dig into the fun, frustration, and science of growing your own food and flowers in Alberta. For even more tips, join our Facebook community, AMA Good to Grow. Hi, I'm your host, Andrew Speronis. On this episode of Good to Grow, we'll learn about your gardens, friends, and foes. Bugs and plants complement each other. Plants need bugs to pollinate, and bugs need plants for food. Some bugs act as security guards, protecting gardens by devouring pests. Then there are the bad bugs, the ones that will devour your plants and leave you with nothing to harvest. Donna Balzer is a renowned horticulturist, author, and host of Bugs and Blooms on HGTV. She joins us to talk about what you can do to encourage the good bugs while discouraging the bad. Welcome, Donna, to Good to Grow. Well, thanks. Thanks, Sandra. So let's start with the basics. What are some of the good bugs that we need in our gardens? (laughs) Oh, things that sound horrible, like serpent wasps. We need those. What are they? (laughs) Well, there's a little fly. The actual, this is one of those cases where people don't know what to call things. So they give it kind of a neutral name for the adult and then kind of a sketchy name for the, for the immature. So insects, of course, come in both adults and immatures. And the one I love is the adults called the hoverfly. So it's like a little helicopter. It looks a bit like a wasp, but it hovers just over the plants. It's what it's looking for is aphids. And then when it thinks it finds a big enough pocket of aphids to lay its eggs, because they have to have enough to eat to mature to their whole life, they can't just wander off to a new restaurant or something. They have to be able to hatch out and eat what they need right there. So they're looking for these little nasty patches where the leaves are curled or maybe on a rose when you see lots of little aphids on the tips of the plants. That's what the hoverflies are looking for. The immatures, the ones that hatch out, are maggots. And so it's kind of a nasty serpent wasp is the other name for those. And they actually operate like a windshield wiper. So they, you'll see a piece of a leaf that looks absolutely clean in the shape of a windshield wiper because they'll just go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and they'll eat the aphids clean. They'll just lick that leaf clean. Wow. So (laughs) funny. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some tricks that gardeners can use to encourage uh, these hoverflies and maggots? <laughs> well, flowers. And we need, we need the kind of flowers, just think to the kind of, not the kind you'd get as a bouquet, but the kind that would have millions of tiny, tiny flowers on them so that every day the little tiny restaurant is open with each little flower opening and then it closes again that night. So we need things like a lissom or dill. You know how when dill blooms, there's never one flower, there's a million. Right. Or something like cilantro. We all curse it when it goes to bloom because we want those leafy plants for our food. But those all, all of the herbs, the various herbs like thyme even, um, they all have so many tiny, tiny flowers. And that's what these insects need. Because when there's no aphids around, when your garden is perfect, perfect for a human perspective, (laughs) and there's no aphids around, these insects still have to eat something. They can't just kind of go on holidays. They have to eat. So they're looking for pollen. Then they can eat pollen until aphids are available. Right. What about some other good bugs that we need? I hear that maybe wasps are actually a good thing. Right. (laughs) So I, I just absolutely find it ironic when people put up wasp traps near their barbecues what they're trying to do, actually, is attract the barbecue, the wasps to their food and to their barbecue because wasps are meat eaters. And one of the kinds of meat that they like, if you're not serving up a steak, is they like the cabbage butterfly 
larvae. So that's that white butterfly that you see fluttering lazily around your garden, ah. looking innocent enough, but it's laying its eggs on your cabbages, your broccoli, your kale, your Brussels sprouts, your cauliflower, all the things in that family. And they're little tiny eggs that are ribbed that are laid on the underside of the leaves. Well... When those hatch, they turn into fuzzy caterpillars, just green, but really fuzzy. And I have actually taken video of wasps picking up those those um, butterfly larvae when they're not that big, maybe when they're the size of your baby fingernail, and they'll eat the whole thing and they'll carry it away. Wow. So that's the kind of wasp I love to attract. And that's just the ordinary garden variety wasp that most people hate, right. that most people try to get rid of or try to trap. But I don't trap the wasps. I just put out lots of food for them. And uh, I have some pretty clean cabbages. You know, I've been gardening for 40 years and it took me about 30 years to catch on to this. So no surprise if it's new to everybody. (laughs) How did you get into gardening, Donna? Uh, (laughs) My mom and dad always said I would go outside and I would ask every day when the strawberries would be ready when I was two. So I was always very interested in what was happening in the garden. We always had a garden. I grew up on a farm. And so uh, I've always liked it. And so when I was 17, it doesn't happen anymore, I don't think, but I signed up at the U of A in Alberta there, and I went up and took an agriculture degree and uh, specialized in horticulture. So I've been doing it for quite a while. Right. And how did you develop such a soft spot for bugs? (laughs) Exactly. You know, it's When I first was at university, the rule was the silver bullet. We were always looking for that one thing, one chemical or one solution for every problem. That was it. That's what we call the silver bullet. You know, in the 50s, it was DDT for insects. And of course, we found out that was a disaster. Back in the 70s, it was Roundup for all your little weeds. And then we found out that was a disaster. So we realized soon enough after I graduated and started becoming a real gardener, not just a learned gardener, I started to find out that everything is connected Right. And, you know, First Nations have a saying for that. They say all my relations. So they don't just mean their cousins and their and their uncles and their dads. They mean all my relations, everything from the soil and ground to the trees, to the to the rocks, to the insects. So it's really true in the garden. If you have just a big farm and if you don't want a garden, you want to just have a big farm, you're going to have that huge monocrop monoculture. And of course, the insects are going to be like, hello, look at that, Mm -hmm. cabbages as far as the eye can see, and they're going to be right over. But if you have a home garden or a chance to grow a few plants in your home garden, you can mix it up. Um, We used to call it companion planting, but I don't know if that's really the term anymore. It's just a more diverse garden that will give these these different insects, the good ones, the bad ones, give everything a chance. And so I didn't directly become interested in insects. I kind of was indirectly pissed off at them and I was looking for that silver bullet, mm-hmm. couldn't find it. And then gradually just took a deep breath and went, yeah, there's there's a reason we have aphids. You know, things have to eat and everything has its place. All my relations have a place. So it's kind of fun. Right. That makes sense. Um, I know your daughter is also a notable gardener. Do you ever, say, bug each other for gardening advice? Oh, yeah. Yeah. She uh, grew up, you know, obviously, (laughs) gardening from a young age as well. And so she still calls me quite often. What is this plant? What is this bug? What is this? What is that? You know, she doesn't have that background of all that extra education, but she has more in the ground information. So I love how she puts things together. She's very much a big picture person. And I'm always looking at these little details. So we we work well together, actually. Nice. Um, Okay, let's get back to some uh, bugs. Okay. Um, How do you avoid bad bugs like those annoying red lily beetles? Do they do they have any predators? 
Ah, they do have predators, but the predators, like the beetles, are in Europe. And this is the trouble with our international society. Things are moving around all the time, but sometimes not fast enough. So we think the red lily beetles started around about Montreal in the 70s. And then gradually, as people shipped plants to friends or just put things in their suitcase and brought them home, they gradually moved west. And I believe they were discovered in Calgary, um, or was it Red Deer? I'm not exactly sure. They were discovered in Alberta, and they think they came in on a mail-order supply of lilies. And then they've gradually spread from there right across Alberta. Oh, wow. So because we know the original bug, the red lily beetle, came from Europe, research is currently being done by Dr. Ken Fry at Olds College. And he was able to not directly go to Europe, obviously, but was able to work with researchers across North America that were also interested in this problem, and they brought in the predator for the red lily beetle. So they've been testing this at Olds College, and good news, the predator is overwintering in Olds, which is quite a cold area in Alberta. It's not the coldest, but it's an area with true winter climate. Mm -hmm. And because those insects have overwintered, they're very hopeful that, uh, first of all, these predators will spread naturally because now they're there in central Alberta, but also they're testing different areas in both Calgary and Edmonton and beyond to try to, um, to try to introduce these pests and to try to see how they'll survive. Can you tell me more about what these predators are? Well, I don't know as, not, as much as Dr. Fry knows. He's really been at the heart, the epicenter of this research. So I spoke to him about that for, for my podcast last year. And he was just really excited that they were able to survive. They're an insect that eats another insect, they're a predator. So we're excited about that. And he did give me some tips then, and I can pass those along. The one thing is gardeners know um, that it's good to mulch our garden beds. We know that because we want to keep, especially in Alberta, the soil could be so dry. So we try to put down mulch. Maybe we're using wood mulch. Maybe we're using just a, a layer of lawn clippings. But what he has found with this predator is that it can't survive unless it can touch down and, and reach the soil. So you have to keep your soil underneath your lilies absolutely clean, no mulches, just soil. And that was his tip. And he thinks in the next few years, there will be um, an availability of this predator to be able to purchase it. Right now, they can't sell them. They're under limited permits to breed them and to try to test them and trial them, but they're not available to the public yet. So you just keep that mulch away from your plants. I'll give you a clue if you're near the Silver Springs Golf Course in Calgary, for instance. I know they're testing there. So maybe you will get some of the predators moving over to your area. This sounds fascinating. Mm -hmm. It's it's interesting because there's so much reach, um, so much research going on in insects. I just got a secret shipment today, actually, called Crazy Mites. And that's what they call them, Crazy Mites, with C-R-A-Z-E-E. -E. And they are for, um, again, a multi-feeder. It'll feed on more than one plant. Um, more than one insect because I've got a greenhouse. In, in, in a greenhouse situation, sometimes you get problems and I have had spider mites with this intense heat. And you notice that you've got spider mites because there's these little tiny dots, like someone took a white pen and just drew little tiny dots on your leaf of your strawberries. And I'm looking at them going, hmm, wait a minute, that looks like spider mites. And sure enough, as soon as you turn the leaf over and you get a magnifying glass in there, you can see the very small mites moving about on the leaf. Well, I've typically used Persimilis for that problem. It's a type of a bigger mite that will okay. get in and eat those little mites. But, but the new research, they've introduced a new mite called the crazy mite, and it's just on a trial basis. Again, not available for sale yet, 
but it eats uh, bigger things like aphids, mites, and scale insects. So I don't have those problems on my on my strawberries, but I have lemon trees in my greenhouse, and I do have all of those problems on my lemon trees. So I'm very excited that there's a new potential. Okay, call it a silver bullet. I don't know, but there's a new <laughs> potential solution for, especially scales have been really hard to cure on on things like lemons. I mean, I shouldn't even be growing exotic things like lemons, but why not? You know, I'm a gardener. I want to try everything. And you're in BC, right? Well, yes, but lemons can grow in the house across Canada. They can. Yeah, across Canada. You can get up to 50 lemons on a on a potted tree per year. So it's worth trying no matter where you live. The trouble is that when we bring our exotic plants like this in the house in the fall, we tend to bring in problems. And so you can't just bring in an absolutely clean plant. You, you always bring in something. Right. And, and the uh, company in Victoria that's producing these new mites or testing them is called Applied Bionomics. And they ship right across Canada, right across North America, because the big hemp growers, the big marijuana growers, the big growers of cucumbers, no one wants to use sprays anymore. That was just so 1979. You know, everybody wants to use a bug that eats another bug. It's just perceived and probably is a safer way to control insects in our environment. So we're, we're able to cure everything from spider mites to thrips to aphids with all of these various bugs that we bring in. Some of them are like lions. They're the predators. They'll jump on those insects and just eat them up. Others, like I'm thinking the little aphidolides midge, it looks like a little tiny mosquito. It lays its eggs inside an aphid. So imagine how small those eggs are. Oh, wow. And that aphid blows up like a balloon, like a brown balloon. And you see these little empty balloons on your plants. And you're like, what is that? It's like a great big aphid. It looks like an aphid, feels like an aphid, but it's brown and crusty. And that's an aphidolides that's laid its little egg inside. So there's parasites. That would be a parasite. And then there's the big lions, the predators. So... We like the predators better. They do a faster job. <laughs> right. Um, I know some st- stores sell uh, packs of like ladybugs to help with your garden. What do you think of that option? I think that's a disaster waiting to happen. Back in the 1880s, we brought in Asian ladybugs uh, from Asia because there were, we, not we as in you and I personally, but <laughs> California um, uh, growers of, they were trying to grow lemons again and they were, uh, they were so plagued by aphids. So they brought in these lady beetles from, strangely enough, even though they have lady beetles in California, they brought in some from Asia and these have escaped. And these Asian lady beetles are, um, are actually eat really well, but the trouble is they also bite. So if you have small children, they'll bite your children. So they're quite vicious. And so I'm not saying you're talking about those ones. What I'm saying is we're still going down that old road of thinking we should import things. And so right now they're clearing out ladybugs from from um, caves in California. They're packaging them in the middle of winter. They're storing them in the freezers or fridge. They're shipping them to Costco in Calgary in July. People are bringing them home. These bugs have not been outside since last summer. Do you think the first thing they're going to do is eat the aphids in your yard? No. The first thing they're going to do is find a mate, and they're not going to wait. want to mate with their brother or their sister. So they're going to fly away and look for a mate. Then they're going to mate. Then they're going to look for aphids. Then they're going to lay their, 80, you know, their bug like eggs where they find aphids. And so it's a long process. So if you think you can just buy in ladybugs and have them go directly to your aphids and eat them, no, that's not going to happen. 
better again, get right back to point A, which was plant flowers that will feed your local ladybug populations. And that's things like alyssum, that very common annual plant, or any of the herbs like cilantro or dill or fennel. Those will all produce so many flowers that will attract ladybugs. And then you've got the ticket. You've got a place that all everybody else that bought their ladybugs will be over in your garden because you've got the uh, the drawing card right there. Right. Um, what are some other plants you should grow to encourage good and native bugs? Well, to encourage the local native bugs, they need a real diversity. So some things like we were talking about, the red lily beetle right. doesn't like to have mulch on the ground, but most things do like to have mulch on the ground. I'm thinking of the little black beetles called the rove beetle, R-O-V-E. Those are everywhere in everyone's garden if you've got mulch. So they'll be scavenging around looking for things to eat. Uh, we also can get, like I said, the beneficial aphylides, the beneficial um, um, serpent wasps or hoverflies. So we could plant tons of little flowers, but it's about the whole environment. You can't just have ground that's been super raked and clean and fluffed and then have you know, no flowers and then have just big trees. You have to have everything from the lowest ground cover through to the medium-sized perennials, the shrubs, the trees. Things have to be able to find a pathway so that they can go from A to B. And that's how they, they can't get an AMA roadmap, let's put it that way. They have to have all those little <laughs> connecting plants to be able to travel. And sometimes you get them in the least expected, um, the least expected places. If you buy worm castings from Alberta suppliers that have not been sterilized or pasteurized, you'll probably get fungus gnat predators. I don't know if you've ever had those little black flies on your houseplants, no. Sandra, in the winter. Have you ever seen those little guys just buzzing in your houseplants? I always thought so they were irritating. fruit flies. <laughs> well, if you buy the worm castings, those come with the eggs of this little predator that will eat the eggs of that little fungus gnat, that little black fly that flies on your houseplants. So it's so strange. You don't expect, it's not a solution you expect from a package of worm castings. You don't expect to get a predator bug, but you can get them. Hmm, good to know. So mm -hmm. it, it sounds like diversity is key, I think, to everything really in life. In life, all of our relations, everything's connected. I just love that saying. <laughs> Absolutely. So don't get rid of the bad bugs, but what can you do if you have, really, have a really bad infestation of bad bugs in your garden? If you have a really bad infestation, it'll usually be on the tips of the plants, so right on the edges. So I used to say to people, just cut off those tips and throw them away. But then I started seeing these little aphylides larvae crawling around. Um, I, I started seeing these little orange guys crawling around. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> All of these little bugs are, I'm throwing out the good bug with the bad bug. Right. It's like, typically, this is the problem. And then I would say, oh, just hose them off. Because we know that the aphids, when you break off their little feeding beak, they're punctured right into the cell and they're filling up with all that goodness in the cell. But when you when you wash them off, you're breaking off their little beaks. But again, you're also washing off the good bugs. So really, and what, again, I refer to Ken Fry, but what he said was when you use a spray, even a natural spray, and I put quote, air quotes on that word natural, but people will look online, they'll find something like, oh, I can use garlic and mix it up with blah, 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 blah or I can use soap. But when you spray that, you kill the aphids but you also kill the good bugs, the predators, and the parasites. So what ends up happening, your aphids will be right back the next day. They'll just go, oh, gee, look at that. That plant's empty. <laughs> because they're not attracted to your plant just because it's your plant and they're trying to kill you. They're attracted to it because you've done something wrong as a gardener. If you've, for instance, added too much nitrogen fertilizer, think of a balloon. When you blow up a balloon just a little bit, 
the, you can still see the color of the balloon. It's dark and it's just finally, you've just blown up a bit. But if you blow up a balloon massively, all the cells are stretched out and they're very thin. You could prick that with just a little sharp pine needle and it would pop. So what this happens to our cells when we give too much nitrogen to our plants, a leaf that would normally be just a few inches across is suddenly six or eight inches across, but it still has the same number of cells. It's just that each cell is thinner. And when the aphids see that, they come in from miles away because it's easier to get, again, they have these piercing little parts that they're sucking out the sap from, easier to get to a soft, lush plant. And again, that's why the aphids are always at the growing tips. So if you've been watering too much or we've had too much rain lately, or if you've used too much nitrogen, your plants will be softer and lusher, and the aphids are just right there. So if you were to spray them with anything, whether it's a chemical or whether it's a natural spray, and you kill those aphids, you're going to kill the predators. And it can, according to Ken, can take three to five years for the predators to come back. Wow. Aphids, aphids are back tomorrow. So you're just making your problem worse. So just settle down, buy yourself a few alyssums. I found out uh, alyssums were so popular at the garden center last year, I couldn't find any. I had to grow them from seed this year because I was like, I'm not waiting until I can find them at the store and I'm growing my own. So these are some of the things you can start growing. They're a simple little plant. There's nothing fancy about them and they sometimes reseed themselves and can be growing everywhere in your garden. I even have alyssum in my vegetable garden. I line all my rows with that. I've also been uh, told by um, different entomologists that by planting things like chamomile between your cabbages, you can attract uh, beneficial bugs to come into your cabbages. And again, we know that'll also attract wasps and those will be beneficial. So just you have to redefine how you look at your garden and you have to know that everything's linked and that if your garden is um, operating to capacity, your soil's really good, your variety of materials, like all your different flowers are really diverse and your plants aren't all in a monoculture. So you've sprinkled them around. You might have cabbages in one area right beside celery, beside zucchinis. So you're not having huge long rows of things. That's going to make it tougher for the bugs. They're just not going to know what to do with you and they're going to back off and go off somewhere else. These are all great tips, Donna. Um, I've heard of some gardeners using decoys or trap crops to try and control pests. How does that work? And is it an effective solution? Well, it's another tool in your toolbox. Uh, things like nasturtiums, which are beautiful flowers and they're edible and they're nice in soups and salads, are huge trap crop for aphids because they're so soft and so lush. But the trouble is, if you're trying to grow nasturtiums as nasturtiums, well, you know, <laughs> you're going to have a lot of aphids on those right. nasturtiums. So instead of doing that, and, and people do use these other annuals that I've talked about, things like herbs as trap crops, and they put them on the edge of their gardens. But again, I just use them throughout my garden. I think they will just attract the beneficials. Again, I'm not trying to trap anything. We're not talking about really trapping. What we're talking about is trying to enhance things to go in a certain direction. So if you want to line your whole garden with um, herbs and flowering plants, you're going to be able to attract a lot more of the beneficial insects. But I don't even bother with that. I just sprinkle them throughout. I let things like cilantro reseed. So when it comes up in the spring, I know what that little, looks like a little um, kayak paddle. Uh, the little leaf that as it comes up, I know what they look like. So I leave them when I'm waiting first thing in the spring. And I let the, the herbs do their thing and spread throughout. And as I said, I also plant the annuals like the alyssum throughout. So I don't actually try to trap anything. I just try to have a really diverse garden. I try to really encourage um, a garden that's nicely moist. I don't want it to be really dry and then really 
really wet and really dry and really wet. I try to keep it evenly moist and mulching helps with that. And I try to have, you know, a lot of different things instead of any one thing. And that works for me. I haven't had, I see occasional holes in my cabbage, uh, but I don't have big disastrous. I used to have, especially when I lived in Edmonton, the soils are quite rich in Edmonton. And if you started to get down this trap of too many cabbages, you could actually have um, every single leaf eaten by cabbage butterflies. But um, I don't have that problem anymore with my diverse garden. How big is your garden? It sounds incredible. Yeah, it's not about size so much, although every year I let it get a bit bigger because we ended up buying our neighbor's lot. So we can't quite garden that much. I am, you know, not the youngest thing, but uh, it's getting bigger and bigger. It's up to half an acre, but we're only gardening about a quarter of an acre. That's enough space. I mean, it's 120 feet by uh, 60 or something. I'm not sure because it's all converted to metric now, but I don't know for sure how big it is, but it was up to a half an acre. We just aren't gardening the whole thing. I tried something super interesting last week. I don't know if you want to hear about it. There's different people that are renting out chickens in Calgary and ducks in Courtney and different wildlife. I've even seen goats that are being rented out because goats eat all kinds of brush. Right. Chickens eat specifically, eat like they claw in the soil and they'll sort of dig around. But the ducks, I have to tell you, <laughs> ducks aren't clawing or they have big flat feet, so they're not trying to claw through the plants. They are using their beaks and they're pushing up the mulch and the soil and they're eating slugs and they can jump. They can't fly, but they can jump if a slug's up a bit higher. And I'm going to do this again. I don't necessarily want to own my own ducks because, you know, once COVID's over, we're all going to travel more. But I do like the idea of renting ducks, so... It's something I just tried for the first time last week, and they were hilarious. Just the sounds, and they're making little sounds among themselves. And also just the way that they push like shovels. They use their beaks like shovels, and they're looking for things like pillow bugs and slugs. And you have to give them lots of water because they have trouble swallowing slugs. Slugs are quite sticky. And so you give them lots of water, and they just keep drinking and going through your garden. And I think uh, I heard from the owner of the uh, the slugs and bugs for lunch, it was called. I heard from the owner that that he, he has far more male ducks than females. And most people want the females because they lay eggs, but I'm not that big on the eggs. So I'm going to set up. He's always rehoming his, his male ducks. So I'm going to get some, if I decide to go that route, I'm going to get males. I'm going to have a little male colony here just for just for bugs, because it is sometimes hard in the soil uh, to control things like slugs, because they're not actually true bugs. Bugs are more closely related to octopus than they are bugs. And uh, there's something that's more of a problem when it's wet. And guess what? Ducks like it better when it's wet. So yeah, that's a very unusual cure for, for insects in your garden. I love it, though. I'm yeah, learning funny. so much. Oh, my goodness. Thank so, you so much, Donna, well, for joining us on Good to Grow. Yeah, very good to grow. Donna Balzer is a horticulturist, speaker, TV host, and author. You can learn more about her and read her blog at DonnaBalzer.com. That's B-A-L-Z-E-R. She also hosts her own podcast, Helping Gardeners Grow. Growing your own food or flowers? Drop us a line at goodtogrow at ama.ab.ca. We might feature you in a segment we call The Plot Thickens. For this segment, we want to hear about your garden. We want to know what you're growing, what gardening means to you, or any questions you might have about growing food and flowers in Alberta. In this installment of The Plot Thickens, we meet a gardener shopping for petunias at Salisbury Greenhouse in Sherwood Park. My name is Janine Wagner and I am a 
dabbling gardener. I'm just in it for the color. I think what I like about gardening is creating that landscape so that when you have people over and you're sitting back enjoying a glass of wine, it's very relaxing. Um, it attracts the birds, which I really like. We get a lot of different birds in our backyard as well. Hummingbirds, um, bumblebees. I'm a, I'm a big perennial fan, so lots of clematis, honeysuckle, um, delphiniums. But for baskets, we do petunias, geraniums, lots of climbing vines. I trusted my garden to someone while we were on holidays, so things like petunias, um, these kind of climbers are very fragile if you don't water them every day. So we're replacing ones that have died from drought just to bring that color back to the baskets. Thanks, Janine. On our next episode, we'll talk to Rob Sproul, one of the owners of Salisbury Greenhouse. Share your gardening adventures or questions with us, and you might be featured in an upcoming installment of The Plot Thickens. Send an email or voice recording to goodtogrow at ama.ab.ca. Thanks for listening to AMA's Good to Grow podcast. I'm Sandra Speronis. Happy gardening! to Grow is produced by the Alberta Motor Association. If you enjoyed this episode, follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For even more gardening tips and tales, join our Facebook community, AMA Good to Grow. Good to Grow.